Futures trading is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. The opinions shared on this podcast should not be construed as trading recommendations and do not necessarily represent the opinions of EdgeClear, the hosts, officers, and affiliates of the podcast. Hello and welcome to Behind the Screens. On this episode, I have Horse and Mayhem, two online personalities. We refer to them by those names throughout the episode. We get down into some intraday trading talk as well as some macro picture stuff. We did record this on May 12th and we are still very much in kind of a downslide in the markets with elevated volatility. So it was good to get both perspectives on how they approach the market during this volatility, what they're looking at on an intraday basis, and then what they're looking at on higher time frames. Hopefully everyone enjoys the interview and as always, you can come check us out at edgeclear.com and if you just want to subscribe, give us five stars, whatever venue you listen to your podcast on, make sure you rate and review. All right, it is my absolute pleasure to have on Horse and Mayhem from TraderAid. Um, you can find both these guys on Twitter. They put out a ton of good content. We were just talking before we started recording. Uh, Mayhem you know, has got a little more macro view, which is great because I tend to be more intraday and some of these podcasts tend to be that way. And then, of course, Horse, uh, one of my favorite Twitter follows. So <laughs> you can check them out too. Thanks for coming on, guys. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Absolutely. So one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on, and and again, both from a macro and intraday perspective, is going to be uh, this volatility we've had lately. But first, I just wanted to get a little bit of background from both of you. Um, We can start with you, Horace, if you want. Uh, It can include any funny trading stories, bad trading stories that maybe, uh, you know, they might still sting a little bit, but maybe you've gotten over them kind of (laughs) anything like that about how you got into trading. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, thanks for having us. Uh, excited to be here and uh, absolutely love what you guys are doing, including this type of content. So thank you. And my background, I guess I got attracted to trading um, through stocks, just like kind of everybody else when I was younger, dabbling in, in, in stocks in my my youth. And then I think the trading bug really bit when crypto started. So uh, that whole, you know, 2015, 16, 17, that's when I really learned technical analysis because there's really no other way to trade crypto. At least there wasn't at that time. Uh, so it went from being sort of like a classic value investor, so to speak, just buying stocks in good companies. I have always really enjoyed that research process uh, and did pretty well in the markets as well. Just stock trading and more swing trader. But it wasn't until I found crypto that things kind of took off. And I think people would probably find that funny given how much crap I give crypto. But, uh, you know, I had a great run with it and I learned a lot about technical trading and took that over to uh, primarily futures, which is what I trade now, particularly ES, the ES mini for the S&P 500. Learned a lot along the way, made a lot of mistakes with options. I still make those mistakes uh, trying to find a strategy that worked for me. I One of my biggest downfalls is experimentation. I'm a curious person and I end up trying lots of new things, some of which work, some of which don't. But ultimately, my bread and butter uh, is is trading futures intraday. And I think that is uh, largely I have to thank for my learnings in the, the crypto markets for, for that. And um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do and how I got here. Nice. Yeah, I um, also like to experiment with options and it's gotten me in trouble more than a few times, but it's <laughs> definitely too. all it's all part of the learning, right? That is interesting that you kind of found it through 
through crypto, I feel like I learned a lot as well by starting to trade crypto around that time too. And um, I was also dabbling in futures at that point because I was working for another brokerage and um, it was just part of the thing, right? You know, being a broker, I opened up an account, but crypto was always more attractive to me uh, from first the fact that I wouldn't be an idiot and throw on like four S&P contracts in a tiny account and blow up. Right. Uh, I, could, <laughs> I could do a little bit better in crypto. So um, it, it is interesting how that technical approach and I learned a lot of lessons about, hey, maybe you should have, you know, taken some profits off here instead of trying to just hold it, uh, hold it like everyone else. And, you know, yeah. learn a lot. Well, <laughs> for me, it really was the beginning of curiosity because when I got, I got interested in it for the, the concept, the technology, the philosophy, and then I started to wonder, well, how the hell do you trade this stuff? Like, how, how do you know what it's worth? Right. And that led that led me down the rabbit hole of the technical side, you know, just researching everything from basic crayon lines on a chart to different strategies, you know, Renko and, you know, all different types of approaches to technical trading. That's crypto did. I, I have to give it credit. It opened my eyes to what different technical trading approaches are out there, which ultimately kind of helped shape what I do today. Even though I don't use any of the same strategies that I use in crypto at all in the futures market, it still was like the gateway drug, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about you, Mayhem? What's your uh, background like? Sure, yeah. So I got started, uh, I did my first four trades uh, in the uh, kind of mid to late 90s. It was around the time the dot-com bubble was surging. And basically, I had been, you know, working for a little while, so I had earned some money. So I asked my dad, hey, you have a stock account. Can I just sort of give you some cash as a... Um, you know, as collateral, and can I buy some Amazon and some Yahoo? And at the time, I bought like a hundred shares of each, or you know, and basically was like, okay, let's just see what happens here. And the next day, I kid you not, they both almost doubled. And in wow. my brain, even at that age, I knew something was not right. So I said, okay, sell them both because I don't like this now. <laughs> like this doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, it's it's great to double your money, but like that's not how these things are supposed to work. And I don't have a firm grasp on it. I just know this isn't right because if everyone could do that, then no one would work again. So I, you know, I took my money out, and then I proceeded to kind of watch the beginning of the end in the dot com bubble. Things melted up until they eventually completely collapsed, and that was my first experience, kind of sitting at the sidelines waiting and watching and learning and observing something that was one of the most extraordinary bubbles at the time uh, to have ever happened. And so from there, you know, I started to uh, get more serious into, into the work that I was doing a lot into technology and so forth and started to amass enough funds to start doing some investing and some trading. So in 2005, I really started to get active in markets. I was trading mostly stocks at the time, uh, mostly technical analysis driven trades, but I started to get a little bit more into fundamentals. I started to learn a little bit more about other asset classes. So I started to get interested in Forex. I started to get interested in bonds. I started to get interested in equity futures. And around 2006, I had enough money to start kind of throwing around into investing and also getting into those more esoteric instruments that were further removed from the stock market, or at least so I thought. So I opened up an account at Interactive Brokers. I got access to a whole universe of different instruments. I found all new ways to lose money. It was awesome. <laughs> But at the same time, I also found a lot of ways to learn and really get um, a, a better understanding of a market that was just about to go through one of the most prolific financial crises of our lifetime. And so around 2007, really later into the year, I'd call it probably October, November, I was getting very into long-term technicals because I saw some very interesting and quite frankly, ominous patterns. And one of them that kept calling out to me was this giant double top in the S&P 500. 
And I just said to myself, with these investments, you know, I have um, enough time on them that I can take them with long-term capital gains. And I'll just be sort of a gentleman. I'll step to the sidelines until the market proves itself. If it proves it can go higher here and break above this double top, I will get back in. But if it can't, then I'm just going to take my profits and wait for another opportunity. And I had no idea what was to come next other than I saw some cookie crumbs along the way. Like I was, you know, just refinancing the first house I bought and I saw they would give me a first mortgage, a second mortgage, a third mortgage just for having a pulse. And I felt like that was maybe a little bit strange. That wasn't what you're supposed to see. <laughs> yeah. you know? And I started to see how like everyone was now a flipper. And I started to kind of process that and wonder what is really going on. And of course, then we started to begin uh, this sort of great financial crisis and the machinations and extreme volatility and sort of disjointed um, um, uh, catastrophic uh, underpinnings of the financial system kind of melting away. Everything that was really important, the funding mechanisms for short and long-term liquidity. I mean, there was a point where we were probably hours away where paychecks wouldn't get paid, where where lines of credit for businesses to order goods, uh, you know, like grocery stores, buying items to stock their shelves wouldn't work. We were that close. And so for me, it gave me an opportunity to A, appreciate risk in a very real way, but B, also learn the plumbing of the financial system. Like in my mind, I was wondering why this was all happening and, and how I could try to learn from it and maybe benefit it from a, fi a financial perspective, but also benefit from it from an educational perspective because I had a pretty hungry mind. I still have a pretty hungry mind, but back then I didn't know uh, a lot of this stuff. And so I just poured into it. And that's what kind of gave me that focus on macro was from a very early time in, in my sort of trajectory as a trader and as an investor, I really started to get fascinated with the underpinnings of the economy and the financial system. That's, that's fascinating because for me, like obviously I was not... Um, you know, I, I wasn't really, I, th I think I was 12 uh, during the financial crisis. So, you know, I'm, I'm almost 30 now, but uh, I, you know, for me, a lot of that became crypto actually, where that was sort of the thing I became most hungry about, I'm kind of circling back to that and started learning more and more. And I didn't really have that chance to learn a lot about our financial plumbing, right? Like you said about the, you know, what goes into our entire financial system, until honestly, pro I didn't start paying attention to a lot of that until you know more recently, uh, probably when I was in my mid twenties and trying to understand it. Uh, outside of that, I was always just kind of, you know, a broker who knew the ins and outs of the futures industry and um, was kind of just squarely focused on that. So that's pretty fascinating. And I imagine right now, I mean, how have you kind of approached? Um, you know, obviously we're, we're in a bit of a downturn, a slide, and, you know, you've got all this conversation around inflation, all these other macro topics, you know, global supply chain issues and things. How have you sort of been approaching this volatility lately? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the themes, and, and this is something both Horse and I have talked about a lot on TraderAid, is this idea that 2022 is going to be a trader's market. And in fact, that's one of the reasons we kind of got together and really had this vision of what we could do with the service. And so what we've been looking at and, and what my focus has been is both day trading and swing trading, right? And, and also running a long, short portfolio. So those are the three strategies that that I really tend to put on. Um, and I, I'm kind of working through my managing those books on a day-by-day -day basis. So like Horse, I love trading the uh, S&P 500 E-mini contract. I also enjoy sometimes trading the NASDAQ. I like trading uh, a bit of bonds, some commodities. You 
you know, I, I really like looking for things that have traditional kinds of trading opportunities, opening range breakouts, trend trades, reversion trades. Those are kind of my bread and butter on the very short term. And then for swing trades, I like to just really focus on the longer term trend. I like, you know, to set up long swing trades based on trends that seem to be healthy. They're kind of uh, setting up a lower high, uh, I'm sorry, a higher low and then starting to, to move higher. I tend to build those positions into that type of event. And uh, same thing with the short side of swings. You know, I really look for things that are breaking down, trying to come back up to some kind of descending trend line or otherwise making a kind of lower high and then shorting into that con confirmation uh, to manage that risk. And I like to be kind of... Um, diverse in my approach. So I don't have any real preference in terms of geography, asset class, or otherwise. I just sort of look for what is, uh, what, what's being told to me by price action, by sentiment, by rotation, kind of underneath the surface of the market. I'm looking for things like what's, uh, you know, utilities doing versus the S&P 500 in terms of relative strength. Are they still uptrending and they're reverting back and giving me a kind of higher low uh, indication that I can start to build into a position, just as one example. And then on the other side of it, I like to look for something vulnerable. So I'll say, hey, you know, what's going on with, say, for example, financials? You know, we've got a lot of uh, uh, vulnerability in, in some of these more vulnerable banks. So I might look for some of those stock to, to take a short position in. Uh, and that was some, some of the kinds of um, long short positioning I did kind of going into the first quarter of this year because there was a rush into defensives and there was a rush out of cyclicals. And that set up a nice swing trade opportunity. Yeah, yeah. The the rush into defensives was um, probably the the smartest thing I guess I've done this year, um, and it was kind of on a whim where I was like, this this seems like it's going to be an area at least at the moment where I can move towards you know move some money into that. Um, but you know, kind of like an idiot, I still held on to some things that I probably should have just you know been dumb and followed price action and gotten out of. Uh, but you know, at this point, it's more about managing that risk and. Uh, you know, putting on, I've put on some option plays around to that. And, you know, I haven't done so much intraday on the future side lately, um, just because by virtue of our, my day job, I get very busy with other things. So managing a longer term um, approach is a little bit easier. But Horace, I know, uh, well, like you said, ma'am, both of you do, but I know you're, you're a lot more on the intraday side. What have you been doing lately in terms of approaching this volatility? Yeah, so I, I'm a little bit different. I feel like I'm kind of the opposite where I, I like to focus and hone in on one thing during the volatility. And that always goes back to my bread and butter to ES. So I, I you know, pretty much stop stock trading uh, during these times and really focus on uh, ES intraday. Um, you know, I do like to occasionally trade the long bonds because I'm a degenerate gambler, but for the <laughs> most part, it's uh, it's it's on ES because during this volatility, there's really it, someone that trades like I do intraday. This is your time to make money. Mm. Um, you know, the swings, the the rotations often are, you know, despite everyone screaming and crying about the insanity, there's often really great rotational moves intraday, highs to lows, big broad ranges where you can size down, sort of risk down and still capture uh, really nice intraday swings and just be banking points here. So I, I trade to invest. I mean, I'm also I put a post out for our trader aid community the other day. This is a great time to be shopping as well or to be making a shopping list. So I, I spend my evening sort of researching, looking at stocks, things that I'm interested in buying on sale during market corrections. But most of my actual execution intraday is just focused on on ES during high periods of volatility. Yeah, absolutely. I um I do find that, you know, from my side of things, 
with regards to what you just said about, hey, you can size down, maybe put on less risk, right? More of a not risk off, but you're not taking as big of a position, but you can catch a larger move. I find a lot of people struggle with that concept of, hey, wait a minute, if the range on the S&P or the mini S&P futures contract is doubled or 2.5x kind of a normal slow time range, maybe I don't need to go in with my typical play, which is maybe a tighter stop, uh, you know, sized up and see if I can catch a runner, right? If you can size down, maybe widen the stop a little bit and catch that move. It's something I've been, uh, to be totally honest, I've been terrible at during volatility, which is changing my approach too slowly. You know, I know how to trade it. I've seen it enough, but when I get into my own trading, I'm like, yeah, I'll just kind of do my normal thing here on this range expectancy. And mm -hmm. I, I tend to somewhat get very lazy with my homework and risk management in this type of market, which is why I think it's good to have you guys on as well as to talk, you know, about that from, you know, to other traders and listeners, like you don't have to be maxing out your leverage to try to catch that big move because oh, no. if you're wrong yeah. and can't manage that risk on the flip side of that, you could get, you know, you can get burned pretty quickly. <laughs> well, and it's it's not just the the volatility in the price swings during these times that's concerning for intraday futures trader. It's also the liquidity, right? Yeah. So that, that's a huge risk of having your normal position sizing during times like this, that you're going to see the market move wildly because liquidity is not as great as it is when, you know, it's, everything's blue skies and every dip is bought. So there's more than just the intraday ranges to worry about. It's also those knee jerk moves that'll just blow your stops out of the water. So absolutely. I think I I started, I sized down, I can't remember late January, maybe February, and I'm still have not traded full size since. And I, you know, I sound like a broken record every week when we're talking to our community, but I'm still trading small. And to me, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's no shame in that. I'm, I'm having a really great year. Uh, still just enjoying trading, but without the same typical amount of contracts for, you know, when you're in a really steady uptrend. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think it's a huge mistake as people don't change their sizing as the volatility changes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think also it's really difficult to manage an account if you're not taking volatility into consideration as the basis for your position sizing and you could use you know realized volatility implied volatility average true range whatever works best some combination but there's always a way to make sure that we don't have a drawdown risk that's higher than we can stomach and you know the, the the general barometer is also hey do you have positions on that make you nervous where you feel like you have to watch every single tick even if you're in a bracket trade well then maybe you should south size yeah. that down just a little bit <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's another huge thing, right? Is And I, I've talked about this on podcast after podcast, and it's 100% true. If you're putting something on where your potential downside risk, even if you get stopped out to the tick, is you're watching every single tick, that's probably not a great trade for you to have on because you're not trading the market. You're trading your P&L, and it's just going to make everything even more difficult because now you are getting this pit in your stomach. Your reactions start to tighten up. You're not necessarily in the flow of things. You're thinking about everything, right? What happens if it breaks through this level? Well, should I move my stop further? No, probably not. Your stop was your stop for a reason. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that stuff starts to really kick into play as well. Um, and I think that both of you are dead on where 
there's ways to manage the swings of volatility where you can take opportunity and see opportunity in that without having that pit in your stomach or that nervousness of watching every single tick. Um, and, and it can be sizing down like same boat, right? I love the micros for that reason too, because I can scale down, but I can also, when I'm taking profits off, uh, you know, I can scale out at a, a reasonable pace as well without pulling off the entire trade. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, kudos to to the micros. I'm glad you mentioned those. That is my favorite swing trading product by far. I love to build positions using the micros. Still allows me to trade, you know, my ES DOM without locking it up. But to me, in terms of swing trading, that's that's the go to for me. I love the all the different options now for micro contracts. Seeing more and more introduced, it seems like every year. Uh, it can be a fantastic way to really tailor your portfolio if you're a longer term swing trader or if you just want that precision for the shorter duration swings. I'm a huge fan yeah. personally. Love them. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you guys using in terms of like um, trading tools? Do you have like favorite products that you like to use day in, day out or things that you feel kind of help, uh, I guess, your comfortability with your analysis and your approach, things like that? Yeah, I think uh, both Horace and I are pretty big fans of Bookmap. Uh, it's got a lot sure. of valuable visualization capabilities. Uh, we just added in uh, the Hero Indicator not too long ago, which really is is nice because it's basically showing the the hedging impact in real time of options flows. So, you know, when you get someone buying a whole lot of calls or selling a whole lot of puts, they're adding liquidity into the market that can have an impact on price action and vice versa. Um, when they're selling a whole lot of uh, calls or buying a whole lot of puts, that can certainly take a liquidity out of the market and have an, a pretty big impact on price action, especially in a market that's this illiquid, uh, that is also this driven by options uh, activity, where options activity at the index level is higher than it's ever been in the history of the stock market. So Hero is a nice tool to have there in book, in book map. Um, and then I also use Motive Wave for my charting. Um, I, I really like the uh, capabilities that it has, even in the free package. So I've got that pretty much uh, tied in for my longer time frame charts, where I'm looking at four different charts for whatever product that I have. And you know, I like to look at uh, uh, Ichimoku Cloud Volume Average uh, Weight uh, Weighted. Um, uh, I'm sorry, volume weighted average pro, uh, uh, time frames, and then also just the volume uh, profile as well uh, to to kind of see where the point of control is on. You know, like uh, daily, weekly, uh, monthly, yearly timeframes, and uh, just kind of taking all that information into consideration when I'm putting on intraday trades or swing trades is really helpful. Like the volume profile on a yearly basis, I don't see a whole lot of people using this. Like Horse uses it, and kudos to you, Horse. But I don't see a lot of other people use it. It's yeah. actually immensely useful uh, to to seeing some of these longer term uh, types of uh, really key pivot levels and identifying them and playing off them. So I think you know, it, for everyone, it's a little different. What you trade with depends on your style and kind of um, uh, what you're used to. But one of the things that I've been consistently trying to do is just learn more different types of techniques that complement the way I trade and then incorporate them if they fit. And then if other things don't fit as well anymore, just roll them off. And so it's sort of this evolutionary process. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I think there's a couple of things you touched on there. First, the yearly volume profile. I actually just built up a chart in our Edge Pro X platform that has uh, like a yearly profile. And I'm like looking at the longer term timeframe profiles now, which I also find immensely useful. Previously, I had, you know, weeklies, monthlies and up. And I was like, you know, we're getting into this range now where I need to be looking at, because for me at this point, like 
these big, you know, anyone who's big moving money in the market now, they don't care about your intraday time frame, right? At this point, I needed to start adding that more macro, larger view so that I could see, okay, are we approaching somewhere that may be important? Or where is support potentially? And I just threw that up. Like, I'm not kidding. Two weeks ago, I put a yearly hmm. profile on my charts. Nice. <laughs> maybe it was subconscious horse. Maybe I saw you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you guys, I'm glad you mentioned that in terms of tools. I mean, obviously I think volume profile is, is probably the number one. I, I don't know how anyone trades without that tool to, to really understand market participation. It seems like you'd be trading blind. So first and foremost, it, yes, absolutely. Volume profiles, different time levels, especially for intraday traders or scalpers like myself. I like to look at the overnight profile compared to the one we're building today. Uh, to, uh, you know, just kind of get a sense of aggression and direction. Uh, for me personally, uh, book, I would echo Bookmap. Like that was another huge eye opener for me um, mm -hmm. when I understood the effect of, of large order liquidity and what it has on the market and how it can, you know, have those magnetic effects, the attracting and repelling. That was an absolute breakthrough for, for my trading just to have a sense. Uh, again, if, if you're not, if you don't know where the orders are stacked up, in a sense, you are trading blind, right? There's very large participants that have, uh, a very meaningful impact on the movement of the market. We don't, right? So if I'm not watching them, then I, you know I'm just trading blind. I don't care if you trade options or futures or stocks. Uh, it's really important to understand where people want to transact because it's highly likely that they're going to get their way moving very large quantities. Whereas, like you said, they don't care about our intraday positioning. So those tools, I think, are huge uh, for me. I also want to give a shout out to the Orderflow Labs guys. I absolutely love the tool sets that they've built uh, within Sierra Chart. I know they're reaching out and, or they've already started with other platforms, but those intraday tools for me are absolutely critical. Just get a sense. They're doing they're the first ones that I really saw starting to do stuff with Delta by price, which I think uh, is another sort of modern addition to intraday trading that is incredibly helpful to understand aggression uh, intraday. And it's another tool that I couldn't imagine trading without, you know, not only do you get to see the iceberg activity from the larger players, but you also get a sense of, uh, you know, who's in control at what levels, where's the aggression happening. Uh, so that's the kudos to them, really amazing tool sets they've built around the use of Delta and uh, other rotational type tools. So I love their work. And then finally, I would say I'm a huge, I think everyone knows that huge opening range, uh, trader. I, I don't know any other way of doing it. That is one of the things that is sort of a carryover from the crypto world. But mm -hmm. I think uh, the 30-minute opening range for ES is uh, the absolute game changer, just in terms of understanding who's in control for the day. And, you know, our goal is to ride their coattails, uh, you know, so obviously we don't move markets. So I want to be positioned directionally uh, the way that it's most likely to go. And using something like the opening range every single day gives you a really good sense of who's in control in the session. So you're not a, a fish swimming upstream. You can trade with price action and, and put the odds in your favor. So those are the primary tools. Obviously, I mean, there's a million tools you can talk about, time and sales, yeah, all sorts sure. of things. But I would say if I had to boil it down, 30 minute opening range, volume profiles and limit order book, I, I wouldn't be able to trade without those things. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat there. The 30 minute opening range has been something that I've um, watched even since I started first trading futures. And back then, the, my issue was not, you know, incorrectly reading who was in control for the day. It was being an idiot with risk management, right? So, um, but generally speaking, you know, I, I have to have that 30 minute opening range up on my chart. 
Um, and shout out, yeah, the Orderflow Labs tools. I, um, you know, I probably won't release this by the time they put this out. So I think I'm okay to say it. I started testing on my Edge Pro X platform, uh, you know, pretty recently. And oh, really? I'm a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I think they do fantastic quality work. And what I really respect about those guys is they use their own products. And they, you know, they've been built from years and years of, of just observation and daily trading. So huge respect for that, uh, what they've come up with, because I think it's high quality stuff. And, you know, they have some some signals in there, you know, the, the pinches, the dominators, they have awesome names for their stuff. But yeah, I mean, these things are incredibly valuable to me. And even the pivots, like I used to come up with my own pivots before the start of every single session, it just saves me a lot of time, right? Because yep. they, they, they have an algorithm that does it automatically based on the overnight or the other auction sessions and um, really cool stuff. I think they're really on the cutting edge of modern intraday trading tools. Yeah, I think so too. I, I did the same thing. I used to actually make my own pivots in the form of cloud notes and put them into the platform every day. And um, I, you know, now I just throw theirs in there and it, it, does the job for me and it saves me a ton of time, which is great. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Bayam, I had a question for you kind of, we're going a little bit backwards here, but when you started to get into to futures, like, you know, for me, it's always been that I can kind of take in information in the equities world, um, but futures, I was always sort of focused on like indices products and having maybe a small periphery view on what some of the commodity space was doing and what, you know, the bonds were doing. Did you kind of take your macro approach? Like, have you always been able to kind of look at and analyze all of that information or when you got into futures, was it like, Hey, I'm going to start out looking at a couple of markets? Sure. Yeah. I started off pretty small. So I started off in futures trading uh, S and P, gold and oil for the most part, and then a bit of bonds. And uh, that was like the first instruments that I was really interested in trading. And back when I was trading gold, like, uh, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, I traded gold a whole lot. It was very, very, very technically driven. It was actually a very, um, I wouldn't call it predictable, but it was a, a trading vehicle where there was a, one could achieve pretty good consistency with a pretty simple opening range system, even like a 10, 15 minute opening range break uh, was was pretty good for trading gold back then. And so for me, that was, you know, sort of the start. And yeah, macro started to play a bigger role, especially as we started to get closer into the great financial crisis. That's when I started to get a greater appreciation of just how important all these other forces were. So as we were navigating through the tail end of 27 or 2007 into the early part of 2008, when we really started to see some of these things come unglued, it became clear just how important certain facets of the global financial system and the economy were behaving. And rewind a little before that, we started to see some signs in Asia around August of 2007 that, that actually the financial system was starting to become a bit unpinned. We saw some really uh, violent uh, volatility in, in China. We saw some of that spreading over to Japan. And then it just kind of went to the wayside for a little while until again about like November of 2007. But for me, what, what really triggered my interest in getting very deep into macro was understanding not just the great financial crisis, but some of the implications it would have in terms of how you could benefit from the price action that would occur. So, you know, distilling it down to very simple concepts, I realized that because the great financial crisis obviously was was very much related to banks, to the financial system, that those were the parts of the market that you could really get away with shorting or buying puts against much more aggressively because they were much more vulnerable as uh, conditions were, were essentially eroding their capability to be solvent. I mean, a lot of banks were going under because they had far too much leverage in illiquid products that were uh, functionally worth nothing. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until March of 2009 that FASB came out and said, you can mark your assets to whatever number you want. And banks started to recover. You know, and we also had the Fed coming in with uh, one emergency rate cut after another. Then eventually the QE cannon started to get fired, pouring liquidity into markets. But it was that one moment where those illiquid assets were marked to whatever level the banks needed to, to make them solvent again, that the short trade ended. And that was another macro signal that all of a sudden everything had changed because the the, the sort of Achilles heel of the financial system had been uh, band-aided over. Hmm. That's, that is incredibly interesting. So before we get into, um, I, I want to keep hitting on this just a little bit more, but and then we can talk about kind of what you guys do uh, for the public and for traders, because I, I think that's great too, um, obviously. But you know, we're, where we are now with the current um, kind of state of things, uh, obviously we are near lows. We, we're still inside, I think, at least on like the mini S&P of where we traded uh, the low of last year, if you put that on a profile, right? Um, but how do you guys think things are, are shaping up? Obviously, I think it's easier to still make a more bearish case than a bullish case right now. And I'm not asking you to call a bottom or anything, obviously. That's not, <laughs> what, the, that's not what this is about. Just, just an idea of your thoughts on the current status of things. You know, do we... Um, continue to kind of time frame lower. Or what are we looking at? Well, I can I can obviously only speak from like a day trader's perspective because mm-hmm. uh, Mayhem's got the macro dialed in. I, I know for myself, I'm not afraid to say I am. I because I said publicly, I am interested in buying in the 3800s for mm-hmm. uh, the S and P 500 as a potential swing trade, a reversion back up to you know we transacted an absolute boatload of volume in the 4300, 4400 region. I don't necessarily know if we're on our way to you know make new all time highs in the current economic conditions, but I know as a trader from a technical perspective, this is a range that uh, an area that I've been eyeballing starting a position in from a swing. And, you know, that's sometimes you have to take shots like that, right? Mm-hmm. I've always considered myself a gambler. I don't pretend to be a macro expert. That's not really my field. I look at myself as a gambler. And I once I came to terms with the fact that, um, you know, there are ways to gamble with an edge, then mm-hmm. I think that really changed the way that I approached the markets coming from, you know, playing poker and you know, understanding odds and understanding probabilities. Uh, you know, that's still how I view the market. So I think there's a high probability for a relief rally at this particular point, because we are across the board indicators, unless we're going to have an absolute monster of a stock market crash, everything is pretty stretched at this point. Uh, the problem with the absolute monster stock market crash theory is people are still very, very hedged. Uh, you know, volatility is still very expensive, puts are really expensive. And so I think there's reason to see some relief at this point. But obviously, I'll let Mayhem speak to more of the, the macro picture. But for me as a trader, I am interested in being a buyer down in this range. I think we saw we've been seeing some meaningful large order participation just in the past few sessions, large orders, meaning like I think there's accumulation happening. I do think there will be a big move from here. It could be an absolute monster flush and I'll be dead wrong. But as a trader, you kind of, you know, put your put yourself on the line sometime and say, I think this is a good place to uh, to take a stab at a long. And that's what I'm personally looking at. I Again, it's not like buy, 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 because obviously the economy yeah. is 
not where you want to see it for a bull market, but I think from a technical perspective, things are really stretched at this point. And, and yeah. we can't we can't seem to have an actual crash, right? There's been no limit down. It's just been very controlled, progressive selling. And uh, from a technical perspective, I, I think we're due for a little bit of a breather unless the world truly is going to end. Yeah, I think before we get to you, Mayhem, because uh, you and I are similar in that regard, Horace, where, you know, I I would consider myself a little bit more of a gambler as well. And my macro breadth is not very, you know, my macro knowledge is not super deep or anything, but I'm in the same boat where I do think that, you know, if we can just, if we push a little bit lower, I'm, I'm going to start looking that way. And you had mentioned, right, like, it's still a gamble, right? But it's a probabilities-based thing, which is totally different from me just going and playing blackjack. Um, right. Sure, there's probabilities involved with that too. But if you're playing at a casino, you know you know the odds there. So I think that in the same way, it's like, look, if I'm dead wrong, then I'm going to have a level where I'm going to call myself dead wrong and get out. But exactly. I, I, would, I would start looking personally around that area just for all risk disclaimer here that is not trading advice from a right (laughs) yeah (laughs) especially don't take long-term advice from from me but uh you know there's ways to trade it though we're definitely in a sell the rip environment there's no doubt about that so intraday i'm not fighting that right most Mm -hmm. of my trades intraday uh, are on the short side. And I, that's that's the value of the something like the 30-minute opening range. I can short the market and, and ES, and I can be looking for places where I'd like to add MES contracts for a nice swing long. So you can still stay profitable, uh, you know, utilizing micros and the, the minis and still trade according to the current trend. There's no reason to fade to sell the rip right now because that's the environment that we're in. However, I am looking at this region as a potentially a good place to start accumulating for a swing and a little bit of a relief rally. But I'll yep. let macro, I'll let Mayhem go ahead and destroy my. Uh, yeah, I was going to say my, Mayhem, my, my gambler's and... <laughs> thesis, because as a gambler, I don't know when you're going to post this podcast, but it, we could be two, three hundred more points down from this, and everyone be yeah, like, "That, we, we that might horse guy is an idiot." <laughs> You and I both might sound really stupid here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> but you know, I always remind people it, it is a probabilities thing, right? right? It exactly. Is, it, it is gambling. And I don't care if you're a long-term investor or not, you're still gambling on a company's success and future mm-hmm. profitability. And there's ways to do that wisely, right? I don't think it's flip a coin gambling like a lot of your casino games. It's more like poker. There's rules to be had uh, or to be learned. And I think if you understand when things sentiment wise are getting to a place where it's incredibly, uh, you know, everyone's on one side of the boat, uh, that's usually a good sign that that things are probably going to lighten up pretty soon. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, man, destroy us. You can take us to the cleaners if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. No. So look, I mean, Horace and I did a uh, midweek update for our Trader Aid members last night. And one of the themes we both talked about was the possibility of some level of elasticity here that, you know, there could be a reflexive reversion to the mean type of rally, you know, probably from the 3800s and they're up maybe as high as, uh, you know, 4120, maybe as high as 4300. Who knows? Anything is possible because this is not 
a normal market. This is, you know, more than likely, at least on the NASDAQ, I think it's down something like uh, 28% year to date or so. You know, that that's clearly in a bear market. Some of the stocks in the NASDAQ have been in a bear market since, say, May of 2021. Uh, so we know that we have a path of least resistance lower, especially for the longer duration, more speculative risk assets. And then everything else has kind of been dragged down. It's sort of been this, uh, you know, one after the other after the other, the, the micro caps, the small caps, the mid caps, the large caps, the mega caps, the sort of soldiers get shot first and the leaders go down next. So I would say from that perspective, you know, longer term, um, yeah, we we're, we probably are destined for new lows uh, unless and until we, saw, we see some changes in a couple of the elements of this environment. One of them is a sort of leptocurtic distribution of left and right tail risk, which is this idea that there's really not a lot of liquidity. And there's so yeah. much option-driven activity that the implied leverage and the amount of uh, influence that smaller position changes has is so much bigger that when one side takes control of the market for even a little while, it has a profound impact. And we're in a chase environment. We're in negative gamma territory, which means that dealers are chasing price whichever way they go. So it adds to that effect. And you just have less people participating, which kind of amplifies it as well. And then you've got the Fed taking the punch bowl away, which is kind of signaling that the path of least resistance for prices discovery over a longer period of time is quite frankly, probably meaningfully lower unless they pivot. There's a pretty strong positive correlation with the aggregate amount of central bank balance sheet uh, holdings versus the performance of, say, the Wilshire 5000, which is the broadest measure of the U.S. stock market. So I think that's important to consider. Longer term, the path of least resistance is lower. Shorter term, we can absolutely have a face ripping rally here because we are stretched to the downside. N-A-A-I-M. This is the National Association of Investment uh, Active Investment Managers Survey. It just came out the most bearish it's been since the COVID correction today, which means that these guys aren't just selling the dip after buying the rip, but they're going short into the dip. And, and often is the case, this is a pretty decent contrarian indicator, even though this is supposed to be managed money and they're supposed to be a little more savvy. There's This year, they've almost always been on the wrong side of the trade. So every time we have these rips, you see them getting real bullish. And every time we see, we see these dips, they're getting real bearish. And this is not a survey of just their sentiment. It's a survey of their positioning. So they really are selling the dips and buying the rips. So right now, they're once again selling the dips, this time the most aggressively they have ever going back to the COVID crisis. I think that's noteworthy. I also think volatility being as elevated as it is, you know, horse mentioned puts are expensive. So on that note, we've got, you know, a really steep put skew on the volatility surface of the SPX or the S&P 500 options. And that's meaningful because it goes to further suggest that, yes, people are paying a whole ton more premium for puts and call than calls. They're hedged out to their nose. Earlier today, we had some extreme measures intraday on CBOE. CBOE put call ratio was 1.125. Index put call ratio was 1.468. And so the total was 1.25. Those are pretty high intraday levels. They suggest not panic, but intense levels of fear. And yeah. so I, I think across the board, you know, we, we're kind of just stretched a little bit. So it gives us some room for some reflexivity back up. And I'm on the same page that I think this is an environment where you, you kind of have to keep selling those rips until proven otherwise. And the only thing that really seems like it's going to get us back to that point is is a change in the way the bond market has been behaving. And that's quite frankly going to probably come down to central bank policy. I, I I absolutely echo what you say, and we did talk about that last night on our on our show. And I think there's some really good information. There's a couple things I wanted to add to that are giving me a little bit of heartburn in terms of uh, that potential re relief rally. One of which is that retail is still buying like crazy, 
Uh, and that part bothers me because they're rarely right. <laughs> you know, if you yep. look at some of the, the charts and graphs that I'm seeing posted daily, retail is still just buying the life out of this dip. So one of the things I'm looking for as like an intraday trader is an absolute flush, I think would to me would be a great green light that we're going to have a momentum shift. The problem is we've been grinding down. It's just been pretty aggressive, steady, controlled selling. So I am looking for that hard bottom where it's just absolutely flushes down. I was hoping to see it today. There's quite a bit of liquidity around that 3850 and they went down and flirted with it and we moved away. So I'd love to see a really aggressive flush uh, you know, before I think the momentum has actually changed. I don't love seeing retail still just piling in on the long side because uh, the odds of them being correct historically are pretty low. Yeah. There's two two notes there I wanted to add because I think it's it's interesting in the context of what you said and, and why this time is a little bit strange and possibly different famous last words, I know. But with the skew and volatility, as elevated as it is, it's actually harder to have a flush. And I think that's one of yeah. the reasons we're not. We get these stair-step moves when things are this kind of blown out. And if you look at the term structure of just about any options, whether it's uh, index options, equity options, commodity options, currency options, they're all blown out. Everything is blown. People are just terrified right now. And then you look at the VIX term structure, and it's all blown out in backwardation too. So I, I absolutely agree. I would love to see a flush if indeed we get that. I think that's a great all clear. But we have some factors that are working against that. On the other side with retail, they're definitely buying shares, but they're not... Until today, I had not seen them bullish on calls. Today is the first time I'd seen them bullish on calls in about two weeks, and they got back into their favorites today. But before that, they, you know, they were buying shares, but they and in and, and index funds and ETFs and things, but they were not um, super bullish on the on the option side of things, which to me is kind of a good sign that we have less retail options driven participation because quite frankly, that was one of the big drivers of not only uh, upside volatility and downside volatility, but also a a real um, barometer of euphoria. Yeah. And, and if I, there's anything we've learned from this market over the past few years is that it's, it is entirely capable of crashing upwards. Yes. Which I think we've seen, <laughs> which is a re honestly, if we're being honest, it's a relatively new type of market dynamic driven largely by the overwhelming amount of, of use of leverage through options and other derivatives. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't rule it out. I think they, given how insane this bull market has been the slightest bit of good news dovishness at this point i think you the risk really is to the upside and you might potentially see a crash upwards like we've seen before where everyone just scratches their head says it doesn't make sense where we are where we're at economically uh, none of this makes sense. This market has hasn't really made sense for a while other than, you know, the Fed providing, uh, you know, very dovish backdrop. So I, I don't rule out a crash upwards by any means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both uh, a ton of information and actually a great segue into kind of what I wanted to wrap with, because I know we could talk about this for a long time, but, uh, you know, it's a ton of great information. What got both of you interested? I know you had mentioned earlier that heading into this year, you felt it was going to be a great year for traders. Like what got both of you interested in kind of sharing your knowledge, you know, with people uh, creating trader aid and, and forming all of that? Sure. Well, you know, uh, Horse uh, had a service just prior to TraderAid, um, and that was called Trade Fat, and it, it was a viral success story, and it, it blew up so <laughs> so much that Horse actually was having trouble keeping up with that with that uh, you know what, what what was growing from it, and so he reached out to me, 
And we started a conversation and it just sort of started off with, hey, I'm really impressed with your content. You know, would you be interested in having a conversation about maybe working together? And and we got on voice and we hit it off. Like our first conversation probably went on for over an hour. It just naturally had, you know, great conversational chemistry. And we saw some potential in sharing. We have, you know, we have some overlap in what we do, but we also have a lot of differentiation. So we both add a lot of value to the experience. So Horst said, you know, maybe you could come on. And we could, you know, we could kind of rename this to something that represents what we're trying to do in a broader audience and try to grow this together. And it was really exciting to me because I thought to myself, and and I had started talking on this, uh, you know, talking about this on Twitter in like uh, August and November that you know the market was going to get harder, it was going to be more challenging environment, probably more of a trader's market. So this kind of fit into that mindset of hey, maybe we can do something that's not only a great business, but is also able to help a lot of people avoid damage, you know, preserve capital, Mm -hmm. learn skills to survive in this type of environment, and maybe even thrive. Because if you can cut your teeth in a bear market, and not only preserve capital, but make money, you will be successful in just about any any kind of market environment. And so that's what got me interested. And then also, I've, I've been an admirer of Horses work for a while. I've always been impressed with his content. He's not only funny as hell, but he's really sharp too. He shares a lot of great uh, uh, insights about trading. He's very, he, you know, he's a very wise guy. He's very humble about his wisdom, but he's a very wise guy. So I was just like, you know what? This seems like this would be a natural fit. And so we started working together. We put together some collaborative content, like these midweek updates, which have always been a lot of fun. And it's just been a blast. And we've been growing like crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, I echo that. I mean, it's been, for me, from the beginning, I was sort of envisioning uh, hopefully creating something that I wish I could have had when I was starting to learn how to trade. Because obviously, uh, like a lot of people, you you went to the internet when that became a theme, a thing because people were talking about trading. And I realized like over the years, at least through my own personal experience, most uh, communities or subscription-based services were really focused around shot calling. You know, it would be like a central yeah. person or a group of people saying, you know, I like Apple to 150. I'm buying this call, this strike. And, you know, over time, I realized like this, there's really no educational value here because what happens when that person makes a bad call? Well, people just get angry with them and they leave and they didn't actually learn anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really just trying to follow the coattails of someone else who's trying to follow the coattails of the big players in the market. Right. Uh, so to me, it just seemed like this is this is not beneficial. People are going to lose a lot of money listening to shot callers that don't explain what they're doing and why. And I think that's one of the things that's been then separating us and uh, the good feedback we've gotten from folks is that to me, it's really about the thesis. Why are we thinking the way we're thinking? Why did I take that trade? Why was this attractive? Uh, to me, I think that's what helps people grow as as traders or investors. The thought process. You may not agree with it. You may be on the other side of the trade, but that's what makes a market. And I think the thesis is really important. Uh, and shot calling is just it's detrimental in the long run. And we've seen a lot of it recently when we enter into bear market territory. You know, some of these these groups are getting absolutely blown out because they've been in this buy the dip mindset for the last few years, then like almost like you can't make a mistake. Everything was just going to the moon. Um, but I think there's so much more value in the education. And that's what really those are the people they trot out on CNBC. Just yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I was excited. I mean, my initial things just started off as my my own blog posting my ES trading plans. And it kind of blew up and mayhem's right. Like I couldn't do it on my own at a certain point. It was like, wow, there's actually a lot of people interested in learning 
new ways of trading. And I think that's we we sort of have a, a phased plan together of what we're looking to introduce and roll out. And a lot of it is going to be education. Obviously, we focus strategically early on with some of our uh, strategic partnerships with folks like you from EdgeClear and companies that we really respect and like, because if we could make our service essentially free for the customers, that would give us some breathing room to focus on some of the long-term strategic plans uh, in terms of types of content that we want to put out, offerings for different courses, education above all will be the baseline though. The focus will always be on education, not calling shots because that doesn't teach anyone anything, right? It's the thought process. Why do you trade this way? How do you manage your risk? Where are your stops? Uh, there's so much to learn from really great traders that have different styles. That's what makes trading fun. There's no one way to do it. But if we can provide a, a place, a safe place for people to learn and ask questions, that's ultimately what we're after. Because honestly, when I say safe place, uh, there's a lot of places on the Internet are not. You know, if you come in, it's a tough thing to break into trading without getting absolutely ridiculed. Mm -hmm. uh, places like like Twitter, or Discord, you're going to run into a lot of toxicity. Uh, it's almost like you, you're not allowed to make mistakes, which is really funny because trading is is generally making mistakes about 49% of the time if you're going right. to be successful. There's a <laughs> lot of mistakes made in trading, right? And people, I feel like new traders don't feel comfortable really asking questions and making mistakes and trial and error. And we want to provide a place where we can say, hey, this is what we've learned. This is what works for me. If it works for you or if there's some element that you can incorporate into your own style, uh, fantastic. So we want to provide a variety of options and education for people on how to navigate these markets. And, and Mayhem does a fantastic job on the macro side, because I think you have to have that backdrop in the back of your head. And I try to focus on more of the micro side, some of the execution stuff. And I think it's the blend that is making this really take off. And we're excited about seeing people learn and grow. And, you know, I'm, I get excited when people disagree with me in our group and say, hey, you know what, I don't trade like that. I do it like this. Well, tell me why, because I'm a habitual learner too. And I, I always want to improve in this game. If you're not moving forward, you're essentially falling behind because strategies change, the markets change, regi regimes, uh, different market regimes, you know, like you have to stay current. And so the modern piece is another thing that means a lot to us as well. What works currently? You know, we're never going to promise that it's going to work forever, but you have to stay in tune uh, into what strategies are working. And I've learned a lot the hard way. I mean, I'd be the first one to admit that, you know, I've blown out and lost, made and lost very large sums of money experimenting, you know, with things like options and things like that. So if others can learn from our mistakes without having to lose money along the way, I think that's an incredibly valuable service. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and, and certainly I hope that, you know, that's, that we see more of that type in the, especially in the futures community, I feel like it's very easy to find the shot callers, as you mentioned, where, you know, if, if traders can feel comfortable actually getting into the space and learning more, and, you know, obviously that's what we've tried to build here at EdgeClear too, um, is a place for not just, you know, professionals and things like that, but for um, the retail trader to come and, and feel comfortable and, you know, we can kind of walk them through what risk actually is, right? I'm not just going to throw mm -hmm. you X margin because you want it. Let's talk about what that looks like and things like that. That's awesome. Um, I don't have anything else for you guys. You know, we're, we're almost at an hour and I thank you a ton for your time because this was a blast having you on, getting your perspective and learning a little bit more. And uh, I hope we get to do another one. Yeah, this has yeah. been fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having us. Sorry, go ahead, ma'am. 
Oh, no, I was just going to echo the same exact sentiment, Ian. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. It's just been a lot of fun and, and would love to come back anytime. Absolutely. Well, very cool. Um, horse mayhem, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, you know, just take the next trade and, and let's uh, mind our risk and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I'll give one final shameless plug because we were just talking about, uh, you know, modern trading. I would remind our community, anyone from TraderAid listening, uh, to take a look at the edge clear offer that we put out there for the members as well, because yes. Ian and his team are some of the best and most professional that I've ever dealt with in, in good times and bad. They're a fantastic uh, trade desk to be working with. And I, and you know, they did offer a really nice uh, special discount for trader aid members, which I think is fantastic. And the modern piece is what means a lot to me, right? I think you, you guys not only have really incredible new platforms that you're always trying to continuously improve upon to be the best that you can be, but you also, in terms of being modern, offer a customer service that I have not experienced from other brokerages. And I, I think to me, that is huge to know that you can get somebody uh, when you need help, you can contact somebody. I really love what you guys are doing. I love the content you put out, the videos in the morning. Uh, I think you're a fantastic company. Really excited to be partners with you guys. Absolutely. Same here. It's great. And thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. no problem. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. All right, guys. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a good one. See you Cheers. around.